I'm Paul Sutton, and this is Digital Download, the show where I talk to topic experts on digital marketing, social media, and public relations about the things that matter in today's communications industry. The overall picture in the global marketing communications industry is something that can only currently be described as bleak. A recent study by Provoke Media highlighted that 77% of PR firms around the world are expecting a loss of earnings as a result of the economic impact of the COVID-19 crisis. More than a quarter of those are expecting to have to lay off staff. Now, the effect has mostly been on delayed or cancelled campaigns, with e-consultancy reporting that 55% of marketers in the UK are delaying product or service launches. Many leading brands are suddenly in trouble, with companies including Debenhams, Carluccio's, Flybe and Laura Ashley filing for administration. On the media side, national newspaper sales fell by over 20% in the last two weeks of March, and Reach, the publisher of The Mirror, The Express and The Star, has furloughed over 1,000 employees. There has to be a huge question over whether there'll be a job for them to return to once all this ends. The name of the game in the current global environment is survival. Crisis management and business continuity have leapt into the, albeit virtual, boardrooms, while the management challenges of remote working for those who still have jobs are raising significant questions for the future of work and particularly of leadership. Whereas previous leadership tendencies to be a bit commander control, you know, micromanage a bit, check up on your staff and be very specific around what are they doing and how are they doing it, all of that has to go out the window. Right now, trust is the best currency you have as a leader. Rob Stewart is a counselling and occupational psychologist who focuses on the mentality of leadership. In the last month, there have been two fundamental changes to his role. First, there have been more requests for assistance in keeping workers engaged and productive when working from home. And second, leaders are trying to work out what is expected of them now and whether they need to change their approach. He says that leaders must empower people to make things work however they can. So while you may feel that you need to check in on people because you can't see them, this is exactly the wrong thing to do. A lot of leadership principles are very counterintuitive. If we want to get the best from people, we actually need to be less involved with them and and less micromanagey. But of course, when something like this happens and we all feel out of control and we're all unsure of what's going to happen, what we want to do is take control of the situation. And one way we can do that as leaders, albeit not very helpfully, is to keep a close eye on what people are doing. What we what we would be better placed to do is to look at what we can control as being leaders, and that's ourselves, the messages that we're giving, the behaviours that we can role model, instead of focusing on, okay, how can I just keep tabs on people? More than ever, our leadership needs to be explicit it needs to be conscious and it needs to be explicit whereas we might not be giving out explicit messages to our teams and our people around the direction or the vision of the organization or the function or the team now we need to be because now we've got people sitting behind their screens not knowing what's happening not being in the loop there's there's no everything's opaque there's no transparency um our role as leaders is to provide as much clarity as possible in times of uncertainty we can't provide reassurance as such but at least we can talk about what is happening now what we are working with and then that brings people together that gives them more a little bit of certainty where they can feel a little more confident and competent in what they're doing 
This concept of focusing first and foremost on people and giving them autonomy and freedom and trust is one that also stands up from a business continuity context as much as from a psychological one. I have long believed and worked extensively on the idea that the organisations in any circumstances that in the long term are going to succeed are the ones who engage with people's human needs, human wants, human values and human beliefs. So in a way, although much has changed, equally, some of the evergreens, some of the fundamentals of being human, humane and humble are more important now than ever. So there is this this strange dichotomy that everything's changed and nothing's changed. And as I say, what hasn't changed is the fundamental need to remember that organisations are only resilient if their people themselves are prepared and resilient. Rod Cartwright is the deputy of the PRCA's International COVID-19 Task Force and a strategic communications consultant. He asserts that at a time when so many organisations, large and small, are operating on a skeleton staff or have, in the UK at least, furloughed people, and are just trying to stay alive, companies are being forced to return to the core of what they do and why they exist. The organisations that are doing well and will do well, will be sustainable um, and thrive beyond the current crisis, are those which are going back to their roots, going back to their values, trying to remember why it is they exist in the first place. There's a great question as to why did you come into existence in the first place? And more importantly, if you exist, if you cease to exist tomorrow, how would the world be worse off? And I think it's that idea of going back to the very core of your existence your purpose in the true sense and your values um, that is becoming absolutely essential to to corporate survival. When the COVID-19 crisis really kicked off, which for those of us in the UK was around the middle of March, but varies depending on where in the world you live, we seem to, as one, go into a state of shock. I remember being in a state of extreme anxiety that first week, feeling out of control and wondering what the hell was happening. But what exactly was and is that collective anxiety we're all feeling together? I think the best way of describing it would be looking at a grief cycle, understanding that a grief cycle we'd go through if we lost someone is very, very similar to what, what's going through now. It, it, loss doesn't have to come from um, you know losing someone to, to death. A grief cycle can come from any significant loss in our lives. It can come from losing a job. It can come from going through a divorce. So going through a situation like this, with all of its inherent aspects, I think it makes sense that we would be experiencing grief. Um, We have to think about all of the liberties that we have lost that have been impinged upon by this. It's not simply that we have gone from working in an office to working at home. That's, That's simply not the case. We've lost our autonomy, being able to choose where we go at what time and Um, and what that looks like. We've lost our relatedness with people because we can't see them. We've lost any kind of certainty over what's going to happen in the future. So there's considerable loss there. And I think we're going through um, a grief cycle. Now, this makes a whole load of sense to me. If you think about it, we've lost any combination of money, job, freedom, kids going to school, exams, pastimes, social lives, and potentially lots more depending on the individual. So that being the case, could we be in different stages of the grief cycle for different things at the same time? And would that explain the ups and downs we're all feeling? 
I think with a situation like this that is so unprecedented and so complex that has so many different traits to it, but I do believe we can be in different in different places. I, I think because also all of those aspects interact with each other, we've lost our money and therefore that might impact on the education for our children and where we were thinking of sending them or, you know, if we've lost our job, what does that then mean for, uh, you know, our relationships with our family because and our friends because we might not be able to do the same things that we were going to do with them. And because of all that complexity, I think it's it's understandable if people were going through different stages at different times. And I think that's what's so difficult about it. There's there is so much ambiguity and, and uncertainty about the future that even if we start to move through it, that's kind of um, swept out from under our feet. If we think about a loss of someone, as tragic as that might be, it has a finite ending. That person is gone. And after that, we can shift to those stages of grief because the aspects outside of that in our life are relatively stable. We've still got the same job. We've still got the same friends and family. We are still following the same path. We've just lost that person. Whereas now what's happening is we've we've lost our previous normal and we're trying to readjust to a new normal, but we've got no idea what it might be. And there's so much complexity of what it could look like and it changes so much, you know, the changeability, it feels like this has been going on for a year because of the changeability, but it's not, it's every day. So with that, you know, it's just, um, it's just so hard to navigate smoothly through that. So if we accept that all of this is happening to everyone on a very personal level, from a leadership position, what is the best way a leader can deal with this? Back to Rod who says a focus on what comes next is vital for the continuity of a business and calm, authoritative and empathetic leadership is what is now required. I think firstly, and I've, I've said this often, is that the word crisis in its true sense doesn't actually mean Edvard Munch's the scream. It doesn't mean catas- it's not a catastrophic end point. It is, in its literal sense, a turning point. But I do think it's important for leaders to remember and convey that, you know, without getting too Buddhist on you, this too will pass. There will be another side to this. We will come out the other side. Um, It's those who, as I say, um, remember that the resilience of the organisation depends on the preparedness and the treatment of the people. I've talked a lot about the idea that you know, people need to be treated as individuals. You need to remember that people's individual circumstances, family circumstances, mental health, everyone is an individual. And therefore, you have to do all you can to nurture psychological security. And in the process, you have to avoid another psychological term, catastrophization, which is to assume the worst and convey that. Because I think that if you are catastrophizing at a leadership or organizational level it sets the model that others will follow it almost gives people a sense that if you're panicking they can panic too so your job as a leader is to convey the sense that you are neither overestimating the threat nor underestimating the resources the organization has to deal with it and i think finally that notion of maintaining and celebrating culture and values and reminding your people in everything that you do everything that you say everything that you communicate that you are going back to your values and that you're aligning what you do operationally with that basic intent that organizational intent 
And I think some of the most impressive brand pivots, you know, I think of Morrison's with their pivot to feed the nation, which wasn't merely a brand pivot. It was a huge operational and organizational change where they were configuring what they did literally to feed the nation. Now, let's face it. Most businesses aren't the size of Morrison's. Realigning what you do or how you do it isn't something that most of those listening to this podcast can do, much as they may want to. So what approach should those business leaders take? The way in which you treat the slowdown has to be in a way that sets you up for the greatest possible success on the other side. Therefore, you need to think about, for example, furloughing people in a in, in a humane way so that you don't have the cost that makes you unviable in the long term, but at the same time that you can continue to serve your clients in the short term. I think secondly, it's about engaging with your people and treating them as individual human beings so that you not only have staff, but you have a loyal staff and engaged staff because people are going to think long and hard with the time that they have about is the job that I'm in the right job? Is the career that I'm in the right career? And therefore, I think forward-looking organizations won't be taking their staff for granted in the short or the long term. And I think the third will be thinking, and everyone is is grappling with this, about the balance between paid work and and pro bono work. Uh, I'm spending a very considerable amount of time doing work um, for organisations, doing work for the industry, mainly because I believe it's the right thing to do, but also because, you know, you can't be punished for being decent. And I think that organisations who go back to their intent and values and work out how they can provide their services either for free. I'm seeing some quite clever organisations doing the equivalent of what Radiohead did a few years ago in releasing an album and saying, pay what you think it's worth or pay what you can afford. And I think it's that agility and flexibility that keeps customers loyal, that keeps staff uh, feeling valued and engaged and balances paid work with pro bono work. I think that's the, those are the, some of the things that organisations might consider, no matter how big or small they are. Rob says the answer to what leaders can do is something that most leaders don't actually want to hear. Right now, you have to sacrifice performance for the well-being of people. And you have two choices right now. You can focus on the short term and trying to maintain the status quo. And you can do that by pushing people, by holding them to account in the same way you have done previously and going, they work from home, it's remote working, so we can all do the same thing. And in the short term, it will benefit you. But in the long term, it will absolutely inhibit you. People will not be able to sustain it. They will disengage from you. You will see attrition and the organization will set a standard for itself uh, from a performance point of view that it can't maintain. And therefore, when it doesn't, your employees are going to be the first people who are on the receiving end of whatever cutbacks they are. So you're going to lose more people and more morale. The best approach you can take is a sustainable one, is to think about this in the longer term. The only opportunity we have here is to bring people closer, to improve the brand of the organisation, to learn how we can work remotely and flexibly um, and still see good outcomes, even if it wasn't to the same degree as it was before. The key to this thinking is that at some point, there will be a return to normal, even if we don't know at the moment what that normal is. 
And to function effectively at that point, you need engaged, happy employees who feel good about you. A lot of people, when this sort of goes back to a new normal, they are going to judge a lot of organisations by how they treated their people through this crisis. It's a global crisis and the companies that have not stepped up are doing irreparable damage to their brand. We're seeing countless examples of brands doing good things for their staff and for society in this crisis and of brands treating workers poorly. The general feeling is that this will have a profound and lasting impact. I think the brands that succeed in the long term will be the ones who behave with that humanity and and humility during this period. I think, you know, you're starting to see some very, very stark contrasts of organisations making the same business decisions, but the way in which they enact and communicate them will go down in sort of COVID-19 brand folklore. If you take the contrast, for example, between Britannia Hotels who laid off um, a, a, a large number of staff at one of their hotels in Aviemore by letter with as little human decency as you could possibly imagine, asking them to pay back um, the equivalent of any holiday that they'd taken. Contrast that with the wonderfully personal and human letter from one of the founders of Hawksmoor about you know the pain they felt in having to close the restaurant and actually asking consumers to go to other smaller brands who are doing home delivery because, frankly, those brands needed their business more than Hawksmoor did. And there are just swathes of these examples that, as I say, brand folklore will remember. It'll be elephant-like in remembering the brands that that treat people with humanity and humility and those that seem to forget that that will be what they are remembered for in the medium and the long term. Now, I recently wrote an article for the Huffington Post that covered some of the many examples of this out there. One of the counter arguments I have read in response is that by the time the COVID-19 crisis is over, the world will have moved on and will simply have forgotten how brands behave by then. So how much of an impact will it really have? I don't think it's binary. I don't. What I'm not saying is that organisations that treat their people well will automatically survive. Patently, businesses that survive will also be those um, which have financial reserves, which on the other side of of this uh, crisis, whenever that is, still have products, services, routes to market um, that still work. So what I'm not saying is that organisations' treatment of their people will be the only determinant. I do think it will be a factor. Rod makes the point that such events have a long tail and cites Volkswagen's emission scandal as an example where cars are still manufactured and sold, but the brand is tainted and long-term sales have suffered as a result. Now, this will leave two big questions. How do we, as individuals, best cope with all of the upheaval in our lives? And are the changes we're seeing long-term? Here's Rob on the first of those. The first thing I think we need to do is accept that we are going through a grief cycle. Too many of us were straight into that denial stage of going, oh, okay, this is just a bit of working from home. It'll be over soon. I I can personally speak for myself and go, my wife and I were still talking around going to Dubai for a holiday. (laughs) It took us a while to figure out and go, oh, this this is not happening. This is not happening here. So acceptance that we're in a cycle and that if we're sitting there going, everything's hunky dory, we're probably in that denial phase. That's the first thing. 
then I think um, navigating through those different times of the cycles are around acceptance that we're going to go through them. And a lot, I think, because we can't have the certainty to focus on, is communicating the uncertainty, communicating where we are with the people around us. There is a huge part here uh, around catharsis and communicating with the people close enough to us. So we share our fears and our worries. Um, the more that we uh, become introspective and bottle these up, the more and more we go around in our heads, the less likely we are to actually move through these stages. Um, so the idea of actually speaking to people and seeing they're in the same place, that's going to help start getting us through. The other thing I'd say, and this is a very behavioral strategy, is to focus very consciously on what can I do to exercise my sense of autonomy each day. And it might be something as silly as today I'm going to eat this for breakfast. I am going to do this this time. I know it sounds pedantic and almost silly, but where so many of our liberties and autonomy have been taken away, we have to regain those somehow. But it's very easy at this point to go roll out of bed, make a coffee in the morning. I'm sitting there in front of my laptop. I'm there until lunchtime and I drag myself to the kitchen and just make something. And it becomes very, we're living very unconsciously and very automatically. The better thing to do is to be very mindful and very conscious about the choices we can make. On the question of whether we're going to see fundamental changes in the way that business and society operates, or whether we're likely to just go back to normal, here's Rod. It also comes back to leadership choices by organizations, by individual leaders, and by each and every one of us. I think that this idea that somehow the world system will change just because it has changed in the short term isn't necessarily right. I think that organizations, leaders, and individuals are going to have to make conscious choices, for example, to drive less or shop online more or treat their people in a different way or um, integrate systems of home working in the long term and changing the way that the world of work um, looks like. Uh, because I don't think system change will, will happen of its own accord. I think it will happen if businesses, organisations, leaders and individuals consciously make those decisions. Now, it'd be foolish to think that many people won't want to work from home from two days a week, for example, after this ends. But equally, it'd be naive to think that when this does end, everything will automatically have changed for good. But maybe the role of the office will change to somewhere you go for social interaction and group work rather than being the home of everything for 40 hours a week. A lot may depend on how long the disruption lasts and whether new habits and behaviours have long enough to be established. I think the question of, of behaviour change is actually fundamentally psychological. I think it's all about that basic piece of psychology, which we call habit. And I think that the idea that we have spent three, four, five, six weeks being forced to behave in a different way doesn't automatically mean that very long-term ingrained habits will change. We're going to consciously have to will those habits to change. We're going to have to consciously make the decision that our habits will be different if there is going to be any long-term change in the way that we operate as a society and the way in which we operate as an economy. Whether leadership and leadership styles change is equally as up for debate at this point in time. There are two perspectives. 
The pessimistic part of me says we go back to a some sort of normality. We have a global recession. We have um, a position where people feel lucky to be in jobs. And those leaders who are subpar leaders, who rely on command and control, who um, use people as cogs in a wheel, th those people are still in their position and they can carry on using the same tools they have to get to get people to work the way they want to without having to change their style because people are happy to have a job and they feel like I can't leave and go anywhere else. That's my fear. But what about the optimistic view? The idealistic part of me says this is an opportunity to go, actually, leadership probably isn't good enough in a lot of places and these people haven't stepped up and we need them to. People go back into their roles and go, actually, do you know what? I'm not accepting this. I'm not accepting that. We've come together as teams. We're stronger. You know, we're all doing things differently now. For instance, a lot of places have this culture where if you leave at five o'clock, everyone looks at you like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're looking at five. You know, you're leaving at five o'clock. Well, hold on a minute. The only person who wins here from all of you staying past five o'clock is the organization. You don't. What are you getting from it? The shareholders will be. Senior leadership will be. Whereas I think what's happening now is we're coming together on these Zoom calls and everything else, and we're we're connecting with each other on a on a deeper level. We're sharing in a very real threat that's actually focusing all of our minds together and going, you know, this is a common enemy, and that really brings people together. And I feel like we're going to come back from this back into the office and go, actually, do you know what? We're stronger as teams. There's less less negative stuff we're going to accept. I also think there's a part of us that will go, my well-being is actually really important. I've just spent three months at home not being able to see friends and family, not being able to do the things I want. I don't really want to come back into the office and do 12-hour days. That's not really health healthy for me. And actually, my health is quite important to me. So I think there's a potential to see a change in that as well. And leaders are going to have to facilitate this. They're going to have to go you know we spend all this money hiring these great guys out of these great universities with these great qualifications we're going to lose them you know we're going to lose them if we don't start giving them what they need and what you know and looking after their well-being so my hope is we come out of this and people come together and go this is what we need to survive this is what we need to thrive in these environments and leaders start going okay you know yeah we need to give you more resource but actually what we need to do as well is, is take better care of you. We need to think about how we empower you, how we let you grow. We can't just go, you're a cog in a wheel and I'm going to tell you what to do and I'm going to micromanage you until you do it. I don't, I, 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 that's not going to stand anymore. So my hope, my hope is the latter. We come out of it. It doesn't give lead, bad leaders a place to hide and they have to get better or they're replaced with someone who could be better. We come together more. We look at our well-being more. We stop thinking about the GDP we start pulling in better leaders or, or, or pulling up bad leaders. We start growing them and making them better. And as organizations, we and people and leaders, we stop thinking around GDP and start thinking around, you know, the happiness of people, the well-being of people. I think this is an opportunity to do that. This could be a paradigm shift. So that is my hope. Many thanks to Rob and Rod for their time in helping make this show. You can find them both on LinkedIn. You can subscribe to Digital Download on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
And if you like the show, please do leave a review as this helps others discover the podcast. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time.